0: Good morning. morning. Happy New Year to everyone. We will continue in the book of John today, John chapter 4. And just a reminder, once again, what the main purpose of this book is all about. Its main purpose, the author John tells us, is that we would believe in Jesus Christ, and that in believing, we would have life, in his name uh, that's that's the main purpose of this book and as i've been working through chapter four there's this it seems to be this struggle within me personally to okay get to the heart of what jesus is trying to say uh in the midst of all this amazing doctrine that he taught right here in john chapter four about worship and worshiping in spirit and in truth and and so I've, I've been conflicted as like, oh, I want to preach this whole message on all these great doctrines about worship. Yet I, I still feel like I need to get to the heart of what Jesus is saying to the, the woman here at the well in Samaria and her salvation and all these things. So bear with me as I do my best to make it through uh, this text in a way that you know. Sometimes it may feel like I'm rambling a little bit. Sometimes I feel like I'm rambling a little bit. Um, but, uh pray. Pray for me in that, and uh, bear with me as I, as I work through this. It's, it's my heart that we would, uh, we would see the heart of this message. You know, Jesus has gone to seek and save that which is lost. Uh, and that's what he's doing here in Sychar you know, with the woman at the well. He's continuing his conversation today here in chapter 4. We saw in chapter 3 how he interacted with Nicodemus. You remember that. Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews, and what did he tell Nicodemus? First thing out of Jesus's mouth: "You must be born again." Had nothing to do with what with what Nicodemus had just said. Nicodemus was flattering Jesus, and Jesus cuts right to it: "You must be born again." That was his message to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, you remember, he didn't understand it at all. How can a A man go back into his mother's womb and and be born a second time. And it's like, really, Nicodemus? Is that what you're gonna say? (laughs) To 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 the king of the universe right here in front of you? He just doesn't get it, he doesn't understand. And he and the Jews reject Jesus' gospel message. And so Jesus turns to the Gentiles, and we see that pattern all throughout the Bible, and especially in the New Testament. And now he is making his way through Samaria, heading to Galilee of the gentiles and as i was thinking about this again in chapter four to the jewish jewish reader of the first century this this chapter would be a very troubling one to read why is messiah going there why did he go that way you know if anything that's the unclean route that's the route right through the people that we despise and that are unclean and why would he go that way he should go around that's what he should have done be politically correct uh, but he's not interested in that uh, jesus shatters the cultural norms of the day to go get his sheep to save that which is lost and so instead of going around samaria he goes right through it right into the heart of the people the jews deeply despised and it's interesting you can see here in chapter four verse four it says jesus had to pass through samaria he had to pass through Samaria. Was there road construction on the other roads? <laughs> no, there wasn't. You know, he could have gone the other way. But no, he couldn't. Because what does Jesus always tell us? He, is, he, he came to do the will of his father. Uh, he, he, he came to seek and save that which is lost. So he had a divine appointment with this woman at this well in Samaria. And so he had to pass through Samaria, and he did, always submitting himself to the will of the Father. And so he passes through Samaria, and in doing this, you know, God, God is showing us how he loves and is saving even the people that we despise the most and feel the most undeserving of his grace. Think about that. You know, as we as we watch the news or read the news and we see the events going on in the world, it it would be easy for us to say things like, well, you know, there's no way I'm going to Afghanistan. Those people are too far gone. No way I'm going to Pakistan. That's where Osama bin Laden was was hanging out. Those people are just way too far gone. No way I'm going to Nigeria. You know, there's. Islamic militants up there in the north, and you know, they're killing Christians there. No way I'm going there, they're too far gone. God's showing us that no one's too far gone, no one, and that may just be right where He wants us to be. No way I'm going to downtown New York City, those people are too far gone. No way I'm going to downtown Los Angeles downtown San Francisco, it's darkness there. They're too far gone. There's, there's no one who's too far gone. And that's, that's what God's showing us right here. And sometimes, a lot of times, the ones that we think are too far gone are the ones who are the hungriest and thirstiest for the gospel. And, and we saw that last week as we read the whole text. Not only did she believe, but the town believed that Jesus is the Savior of the world. So we're going to continue uh, working our way through the text today. Uh, We're going to read verses 7 through 26. Uh, Just to set up some context, we're really going to focus in on verses uh, 16 through 26 today. But what I want to start at verse 7, just to set up the context again. Because not all of us read this every day during the week. And remember we're <laughs> So look at verse 7. So remember Jesus going through Samaria. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So he's there alone with the woman at the well. The Samaritan woman said to him, And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And he. So Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost. He's come to this place with a specific purpose. As we said, the Jews of Jerusalem have heard the gospel and seen many signs and wonders from Jesus. Yet they didn't believe in him as the Messiah and Savior. His encounter with Nicodemus proved that. The leader of the Jews, you must be born again. Nicodemus didn't understand. The gospel message of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus is the power of salvation to all who believe. Yet the Jews rejected it. It was to be preached to the Jews first and then to the nations. The Jews rejected and now Jesus takes that message which the Jews rejected to the nations. Going right through Samaria. And he has this conversation with this immoral, adulterous woman. Why would he do that? <clears throat> Why? I don't know the exact reason. All I can think is that you know, he, he is showing us that the ones that we think are the worst are actually the ones that are the most hungry. He just shatters the cultural norms of his time. And he opens the conversation by simply asking the woman at the well for a drink. So he focuses on the physical, the things she can touch and feel and see, and the reason she was coming to the well in the first place. She needed water. And the conversation continues, if you remember. And it it, it shifts then from the physical to the spiritual. From, can you please give me a drink, to the gift of God, talking about true living water. Whoever drinks of the water that Jesus gives them will never be thirsty again. That water will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life, he says. These words are echoes from the prophet's description of the Lord as the fountain of living water from Jeremiah 2 and Jeremiah 17. And, and this woman knows about the things of God. And so as he's saying these things about living water and eternal life, the echoes of the scriptures are coming into her mind. We also read in Ezekiel that the Ezekiel and the prophets looked forward to a time when living waters would flow out of Jerusalem. We see that. In Ezekiel 47 and Zechariah 14. And at that offer, the offer for the living water, you know, you can see here in the text, she, she gets really interested. Give me this water, verse 15, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So she, he's got her attention now. She's interested, but she doesn't understand yet. She still talking about fresh, physical, running water that she can drink and be satisfied of her physical thirst. But that's not what Jesus is offering. Anyone with indoor plumbing can have that. That's not the offer that he's extending. What Jesus is offering is so much deeper and satisfies the thirst of our hearts and souls. That's what's on offer to the woman at the well and to you and me in this room today, to the entire world. The living water that no amount of Deer Park or Dasani or Aquafina or any physical water can satisfy. Only the living water of Jesus can satisfy our thirsty souls. So now Jesus takes the conversation deeper so she can see just how thirsty her soul really is. So we pick up at verse 16. Jesus says to her, said to her, go, call your husband and come here. Now, that's an interesting thing to say at that moment. I mean, there he is. You know, if you've been trained in evangelism explosion or you know, all these, you know, four spiritual laws, or all this evangelistic training, you wouldn't tell someone who's right on the verge of making a decision for Christ to go and get their boyfriend and bring, you know, bring him back here. No, you want to get that person believing right then. I mean, and then you write their name down, you count up the numbers and all this stuff. I mean, that that's how you're trained to do it, Jesus. What are you doing? Telling her to leave and go get someone. She might not come back. She might not believe right then. And oh my, what? What would we do? You wasted the opportunity, Jesus. That's what the leader would have told him when he came back to report in. I'm saying that because I've been through that. I've experienced that. So he's not following the plan here. Like, why would you say that, Jesus? Go call your husband and come here. He's saying that. Because he's looking into her heart and soul, and he knows what's in there. He sees directly into the sinful state of her soul, and he cuts right to her heart. Call your husband, he says. He's speaking to her conscience. It's as if he's telling her, if you really want this living water I've been telling you about, you can only get it as a poor contrite convicted broken sinner that's what it takes then he says these other words go and come here also very interesting And if you think about it you know what he's he's doing here is he's communicating this message and gift of salvation it's not just for her But for her her boyfriend and anyone else who would receive it. And she was not to keep this to herself. But she's supposed to share it freely with the world. Go. Call your husband. Come here. I got big news for a lot of people. (laughs) Big news for a lot of people. And so he's he's looking right into her soul. And then he continues, (laughs) verse 17. The conversation continues. So he says, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband what you have said is true (laughs) now she's never met him before in her life total stranger total stranger yet jesus fully knows everything about her he knows her heart her life her very thoughts everything everything. And this is an amazing, this is amazing and wonderful for those who humble themselves and confess their sins before him. But it's troubling and terrifying to those who live and walk in the darkness to hide the evil of their hearts. Jesus sees it all. Brothers and sisters, we're not hiding anything. Our hearts, our minds are laid open before our Creator God. There's nothing hidden from Him. It reminds me, too, as I read this, of when Jesus first met Peter and Nathaniel earlier in the book of John. Remember that? He sees them and knows their thoughts, and they're astonished at. Them. Do you remember that? He told Nathaniel, hey, Before I saw you, I saw you under the fig tree. And the thing is like, my lord and my god, you are the savior of the world. Immediately he says that. I mean, there's no question when you have this encounter with Jesus Christ, there's no question. They know immediately, oh, this is the savior of Those were Nathaniel's words. now notice also how gently Jesus calls out her sin. This is remarkable to me. Look how gently he deals with her. He he doesn't have this angry confrontation with her. Yeah, he knows everything about her. He is the holy king of the universe. He has every right to judge and condemn and criticize. And cast judgment right at that moment. You are an adulterous sinner. Turn or burn. Right? He could have said that and he would have been fully justified in saying. This is your moment, woman. Turn or burn. I'm Messiah. Well, that's not at all how he deals with her. You know, he could have said all these things about, you know, living together with another person. Does it make you married? Yeah, you're right. You don't have a husband. yet. you're living with this guy and shacking up and all these things. He could have gone down that road. Why didn't he do that? He could have called that out. He could have called it out. Oh, shacking up. That's not right. Living together, thinking you're married, but you're you're not married. Living together doesn't make you married. Yeah, you're right in saying you have no husband. Because biblical marriage has always been a man and a woman who make a public, formal, official, recognized covenant. He could have said, you know, don't think living with your boyfriend is going to make it all right. He could have called all that out, but he doesn't do it. It wasn't the time for those words. He's so gentle. He's so kind. Gracious. Loving. Go. Call your husband and come back. Not, oh, you sinful people can't be in my presence. Go clean yourself up, then come back. It doesn't say anything like that. So, you know, in our own lives, you know, we we have a, a, a predisposition to be prideful and condemn and to judge and to criticize. Brothers and sisters, we, we need to put that away. You know, he's dealing with this poor, lost sinner. And it's the kindness of God that leads her to repentance. Let's learn from that. Now, his, his words are highly effective. Now, he really gets her attention. Verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Like, how did you know those things? Like, how? I perceive that you're a prophet. Now she's starting to really see, and she's beginning to recognize the voice of God speaking directly to her. Jesus's words have cut deeply to her heart and to her soul. This is an adulterous, immoral woman that he's talking to, and she knows it. She knows it in her heart. And, and don't we all know deep down how sinful we really are? We do. We do. We, we put on a veneer of, you know, I'm a pretty good person, Deep down, we know the darkness that's in there. It's only by the grace of God we can be saved. And She knows it. Jesus has called it out. All he had to say was, yeah, you're right. The one that you're with right now is not your husband. You have spoken truly. That's all it took. Amazing. Now look at verse 19. See, she says, I perceive that you're a prophet. Verse 20, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. So now she's she's drawn on all the Sunday school lessons. <laughs> she gets into the religious conversation. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Interesting response, right? The conversation shifts to the spiritual from the physical. And then. I don't, I don't know why she gives this response, but this is a pretty natural response for people when you're trying to talk to them about spiritual things. You know, they're going to shift the conversation to religion. Because almost everyone in the world will identify with some kind of religion. There's a big difference between religion and a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And so... In our our attempt to save ourselves and think, you know, justify that we're a pretty good person, we associate ourselves with some kind of religion somewhere. That's a natural tendency of people, humans. And this woman, she obviously knows about the things of God. She knew about the things of God. She must have paid attention during family Bible study time, maybe, or at the synagogue when she was younger, or, or, you know, wherever. She She knew about the things of God. And she starts talking about, your people say you got to worship in Jerusalem. Our people say you worship here on this mountain, which is Mount Gerizim. That is where the Samaritans built their temple when they split off from Judah. So she knew where her people worship God, and actually where she was, Sychar, is very close to them. So she would probably seen all these worshipers come throughout her life to come and worship there at Mount Gerizim. And so she knew about the things of God, yet she did not know God.
1: And there's a
0: whole lot of people in this world that know about the things of God, but they don't know God. The Pharisees knew a lot about the things of God, but they had no right relationship with God. They did not know him. They knew about him. And you're, you're likely to encounter this as well. If you share the gospel with people, you're going to get typical responses like, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I go to church. It their typical response shifts from their spiritual need for salvation to, you know, the things about God, about religion, about religious practices. You know, where they go to church, even though they haven't been there in years. Or maybe they went there once. I hear it all the time, uh, you know, some kind of church, you know, a, there's amazing how many Catholics there are out in the world. I mean, there's so many Catholics. That's one of the most common ones I hear. It's, oh, I'm Catholic. Yet you haven't been to mass in 20 years. But they're Catholic, you know, because that's their that's their thing, right? And then I hear other people, oh, you know, I'm a Baptist or I go to Faith faith Baptist. Well, you haven't been there in five years. Yeah, they still go to that. They still, you know, they feel the need to associate themselves with a faith Baptist or a first Baptist or whatever. You know, there's a church association that they grab to in those conversations. If you share the gospel, you're going to see that. And so as we share the gospel with folks, you know, we need to do what Jesus is doing here. Keep the conversation spiritual. Don't get caught up in all that. Where's the right place to worship stuff? What's the right worship style stuff? That's all just religion. Right? That, that's not what saves people. And again, you know, you could see she, she brings all this stuff up. You know, your people say worship there. Our people say worship here. And he doesn't go into all kinds of, you know, corrections on that either. He could have talked for hours about wrong she was about. He keeps the conversation spiritual. So be careful when sharing the gospel with folks, gospel with folks. Don't fall into that trap of empty theological debates on useless doctrines or personal convictions. Let's look deep into souls and walk in love and share the truth with them. It's about saving faith in Jesus. Believe in him have light over so she knew many things about god and the fathers was even quick to debate the differences between jews and samaritans with jesus but there were two things that she did not know that go back to verse 10 and to me verse 10 is one of the key verses in this whole passage when jesus tells her if you knew the gift of god And who it is that's speaking to you, you would have asked, and I would have given you eternal life. Those are the two things she didn't know. She did not know the gift of God, and she did not know who it was that was speaking to her. She's starting to know. She's starting to see, but she didn't see it clearly yet. So what about you today? Do you know the gift of God? Who it is that's speaking to you? Jesus Christ is speaking to you through these words right now. And he's offering you the same thing he's offered her the free gift of salvation by grace through faith in him. Will you trust him? Trust him today. Look at verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. So he's getting back to the spiritual. The hour is coming So Jesus here makes temple worship completely irrelevant, and he's he's just basically calling it right out here, and it's really a religion-shattering statement that he says. I can't even imagine what she would think as he's saying this. We won't worship in Jerusalem or here? What are you talking about? The whole world comes to Jerusalem and to here to worship. The whole Jewish world comes here to worship and has been for centuries What are you talking about? I mean, this just shatters everything. Temple worship was at the center of their cultures. We can't even understand how that would feel. We don't have anything like that today. It's very hard for us to understand the statement that he's making here and how it would make someone feel. But he's saying an hour is coming when you're not going to worship on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You're not going to worship the Father in either one of those places. Wow, that's a, that's like a, an atomic bomb to their culture. What, what in the world? Temple worship was part of keeping the Torah. Each had their own temples, the Samaritans and the Jews. Each considered worship in those temples vital to their right relationship with God. But God the Father seeks people to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so he ordains that both of these temples are going to be destroyed. And that does happen a short time later in AD 70. So Jesus promptly corrects her religious thinking and turns the conversation back to the spiritual, back to a right relationship with God. And it's not about worldly religious practices, where you worship or the clothes that you wear or the songs that you sing, the building, the decorations the coffee, the pizza, the hymn books, none of that is the main point. None of it. Don't we get so caught up in it? I'm not here at (laughs) Living Hope. Clearly not about the building or the decorations. Well, this is a nice, dry place to worship. There's some beautiful churches out there that spend a whole lot of time on that stuff. And you can tell the minute you drive into the parking lot, wow, they put a lot into this building. And Jesus is like, none of that matters. What matters is worship in spirit and in truth. To worship in spirit is to worship spiritually. To worship in truth is to worship truly. They're not two different kinds of worship. They're two aspects of the same worship. And we must, the word here in the Bible is must, we must Worship in spirit and truth. There is no alternative. There's no other way. And it's interesting. In this gospel, there are only three musts. The first was Jesus to Nicodemus. must be born again. Then, in the same conversation with Nicodemus, the Son of Man must be lifted up. And then here, <clears throat> God must be worshiped in spirit and truth. Those are the musts in the book of John. Worship is an outpouring of love and reverence to God from our souls. It's not a physical ritual that we go through. Although one can result in the other as we are Pouring out our love and reverence to God from our soul. Often, you know, our bodies are involved in that. Typically are in a place. And maybe we're listening to music or maybe we're reading God's word. There's not specific practices outlined in the New Testament on this is what you must do to worship. We're we're basically very free in that regard. The two musts are be in spirit and in truth. And so when the church next door or the church down the road has a different way of worshiping than us, uh, they're not wrong. So often, we you know, we think, well, you know, people are stupid and wrong that don't think the same way we do. <laughs> What's wrong with them? right? don't initially think, you know, they're wrong in that. Are they worshiping in spirit and in truth? That's what matters. That's what really matters. Those are the instructions. So worship is an outpour of love and reverence to God from our souls. And I think it's interesting that Israel did not worship God in Egypt. Did you notice that? As you read through the first books of the Bible, Israel didn't worship God in in Egypt. There, all they could do was sigh and cry and groan. It wasn't until Israel had passed through the Red Sea that we are told that Moses sang and the children of Israel sang, Their song to the Lord, their song of redemption. Exodus chapter 15. The heart that is redeemed worships in spirit and in truth. Worship comes from our hearts. You remember, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees over and over again and the Jews because they were a people that drew near to God with their mouths, they knew all the right things to say. Yet their hearts were far from him. Don't we see this in our family relationships a lot? You know, children, you know, you'll be corrected by your parents. And you're going to say, I'm sorry. You're going to say, I'm not going to do it again. But man, as a dad, we just kind of know, okay, is the heart right? Is this coming from the heart or is this just the mouth? No? So don't think you're fooling mom and dad when the you know, I'm sorry comes out and I'm not going to do it again comes out. We can tell when the heart is far from us. You know, and so often it's like that with the Lord. God knows when our hearts are far from. We go through the motions. We say the right words. We go through the right rituals. All those different things or the seemingly right thing, right rituals, yeah, what's the condition of your heart? <clears throat> is your heart close to God? Are you worshiping in spirit and truth? Or is your heart far from God? God cares about our hearts. God looks to a heart. <clears throat> and then he tells her, you worship that which you do not know. Now, why would he say that? It's getting to the truth part of it. The Samaritans recognized only the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. They didn't recognize the rest of the Old Testament. They didn't have the full revelation of God. They cannot fully know God or worship Him in truth. They had put away the other revelations. The Jews did have the full revelation of God in the Old Testament. They had the truth. And then Jesus says salvation is from the Jews. Salvation and true worship of God the Father happens in the spirit through believing in Jesus. And Jesus the Messiah is from the Jews. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. Salvation is from the Jews. And salvation is what this woman desperately needed. God is seeking worshipers. His sheep are out there in the world. And when they hear his voice, they will come. Did you see that in the text? God is seeking those to worship him. God seeks us out. He is the good shepherd. He's coming after us. Jesus went after this woman. He had to go through Samaria. God is seeking worshipers. They're all out there. And when they hear his voice, they come. And we are his voice. His word is his voice. So we need to be sharing the good news. We need to be leading people into the truth of his word. We are the voice of God in this world. It's for us to boldly and lovingly share the truth of God's salvation with others, just as Jesus did with this woman. No apologies are needed. No debates over religion are needed. No crafty formulas or magic phrases are required. Extensive training is not needed, brothers and sisters. Just love and care for lost souls. That's what's needed. Care enough to tell them that they can be saved from their sins and have life eternal through faith in Christ. And there are so many hungry and thirsty souls out there that need Jesus. And there may even be some in this room right now. We have the bread of life and the living water. Let's give it freely to others without cost. Don't hold it back. Then look at verse 25 as we close. The woman said to him, "I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. And when He comes, He will tell us all things." And Jesus says to her, "I am." That's what He tells her. "I am." She would have known that immediately. Oh, He is God. You know, your English translations say, "I who speak to you am He," but In the original language, he is telling her, I am. He is God. He is Messiah. He is the one. And, And there it is. That's it. Here he is. You have him. He's speaking to you right now. Nothing more is needed. Jesus is enough. All is settled. It wasn't about a mountain or a temple or Samaria or Jerusalem. She found Jesus, the Savior, God. He found her. There it is. A spiritually dead sinner and a revealed Savior have met face to face and all is settled once and forever. And that's beautiful. What about you today? Messiah Jesus has come. He has revealed himself to you. You have the truth. It is plain to see and easy to understand. Believe in Jesus today and worship God in spirit and in truth. Learn from this precious woman. Follow her example. Trust in Jesus. He is the true and living water. Your soul is thirsty for today. And he gives it freely without cost. Amen.